0: Hello and welcome to episode six of Call of the Wild, the podcast from WWF with yours truly, Kel Spellman, where I look to find out about the threats to our planet and more importantly, how we can fight back. Well guys, for our final, that's right, final episode, my friends, we're going to do things a little bit different because instead of looking at a problem that needs fixing, we're going to look at something that can make a real change for good something that can actually make a massive difference, one of those nature-based solutions that really can help us turn the tide on fighting the climate crisis. Now, I'm sad to say we have lost so much of our beautiful wildlife and natural green spaces right here in the UK, but it doesn't have to be a one-way street. We really can bring back some of the wilderness we have lost and that can have a huge positive impact on our environment and, of course, those wildlife species as well that need those green spaces so much. In this episode, I'll be joined by the wonderful Poppy Akocha for her story about why she left the bright lights of a modelling career and became a gardening sensation.
1: It didn't take long for me to get to a point where I was just really emotionally and physically burnt out. Don't get me wrong, there's also good, exciting, fun, beautiful people in the fashion industry, but on the whole, as a system, it just
0: is broken. I'll also be chatting with David Lindo, also known as the Urban Birder, on how to connect with nature in the city.
2: And it is a bit like meditation, just spending 10 minutes in the day blotting out the sounds of the human hubbub, police sirens, and dogs barking or people shouting and just, you cut all that stuff out and eventually you start hearing the natural sounds and it's not something that can come overnight, you need to work at it, but once it does come, you've got it. Plus,
0: along with all of that, we'll be getting all your best tips to bring the wild back into your life. So, rewilding. It means different things to different people. It's got a scientific meaning. We've heard the great Sir David Attenborough talk about the need to rewild the world to help increase its biodiversity. But also, a lot of people use it in a way to mean something much broader and easier. So, let's break it down before we get into the good stuff.
3: The UK used to be host to a very different animal ensemble. Just a few hundred years ago, we had white-tailed eagles, wolves and wild boars all roaming around Britain. But because of people, these animals were wiped out. And when you take an animal out of an ecosystem, this can have a huge knock-on effect to how that system functions. If a predator disappears, Prey species can multiply and get out of control and destroy vegetation and even impact carbon storage, flood risks, and soil quality. Other species can be vitally important as pollinators. So remove them and you remove any plants that needed them to reproduce. Potentially plants that we rely on for food. So can bringing back the species we've lost help our natural environments thrive? This is one type of rewilding reintroductions of important species and, if it goes well, you can reap some serious benefits. One of the most well-known examples of this type of rewilding is Yellowstone National Park in America, who had lost their wolves. Without a predator, deer and elk numbers were out of control, overgrazing the trees. This in turn meant songbirds disappeared and beavers couldn't build their dams, which then meant the rivers were eroding the land more than usual. But the introduction in 1995 of just 14 wolves has changed the landscape entirely. In decades, the trees recovered, beavers and songbirds returned and river erosion stabilised. But introducing big predators isn't appropriate for every species or in every landscape. If an animal has been gone long enough or is brought into a place without a proper understanding of its needs, the ecosystem may actually be damaged by its reintroduction. And if there are a lot of people around, introducing apex predators can obviously have some issues. But this is not the only form rewilding can take. It can simply mean restoring the natural flow of rivers and wetlands, or just leaving a space to thrive on its own without intensive management. And this is something that can be done anywhere, on any scale. We could all help nature to thrive by bringing back a bit of the wild into our own community.
0: So, rewilding can be this big, exciting, green, restorative project, from restoring the natural flow of rivers to bringing species back to their old habitats. For example, the UK has recently had very successful beaver reintroduction trials. But... I don't know about you. I don't have any beavers to hand. So today in this episode, we're going to be focusing on the other type of rewilding, the type where we just let nature thrive and do its thing. We let nature do what it does best. And this can be on any scale. However much space you have, it is possible to give nature a chance and give nature a big old boost. But let's find out a bit more about what this can actually look like and more importantly, why and how we should be connecting with the wild in our lives. Now, this can be especially difficult for those of us in cities. There's about 80% of the population here in the UK that call a city their home. So, luckily for you, don't say I don't look after you, we are joined by the urban birder, aka David Lindo. Now, he knows all about the wonderful wildlife we have in our own backyard. So I sat down with him to talk about how we can best connect with it in a way that benefits both us and nature.
2: It's fascinating because when you think that in the UK there's been what, 620 different types of birds discovered or on the record since records began, around about 95% have turned up in urban areas. And when you look at London, there's 370, I think, species on that list. I've always lived by the the motto that anything can turn up anywhere at any time and the moment you kind of get past thinking that it's only about pigeons and you open your mind to the idea that anything can turn up and you can see anything, it's not even a case of going to your park, it's just walking out of your door and nature is there even if you live in the middle of the city, it doesn't matter because that's what we need to get into our heads that it is all around us and for me it's about getting onto the wavelength, This spending 10 minutes in a day, and it is a bit like meditation. It's spending 10 minutes in a day blotting out the sounds of the human hubbub, you know, the police sirens and dogs barking and people shouting. And just, you cut all that stuff out and eventually you start hearing the natural sounds. And it's not something that can come overnight, you need to work at it. But once it does come, you've got it.
0: Biodiversity. I think it's a word that is, is definitely kind of growing when it comes to the conversation around climate and particularly the climate crisis. For you, obviously, everything's intrinsically linked from the birds in the sky to the worms in the soil and then the soil quality to the trees. I wanted to ask you, David, from your understanding and how, you know, you spending a lot of time in nature, what have we done to our biodiversity, particularly in the UK? You know, have you seen signs that kind of upset you in a way and go, that's not that's not good?
2: In many respects, we've trashed a lot of what we've got. You know, we've got rid of all of the apex predators, for example. It's very sad. Our countryside, some of it I wouldn't call countryside personally because it's been sprayed within an inch of its life with pesticides and insecticides. And, you know, I walk around in places like uh, Southeastern Europe or even Northeastern Europe or even where I am now in Spain, and their use of pesticides is a lot different to ours. And as a consequence, there's so much more wildlife. You know, you walk through down a lane in Estonia or Serbia and you're seeing a whole ton of stuff. You've seen things that you probably wouldn't have seen 200 years ago in the UK. And then I come back to the UK and sometimes it's quite depressing walking through the countryside in the very corners because it's quiet. There's nothing much going on compared to what it should be. And that's the same in most of Western Europe as well. We're here obviously
0: kind of talking about rewilding, which means different things to different people. In essence, of course, I think one of the big things we need to do to combat climate change is literally rewild the world, you know, whatever that might be. I, I guess for yourself, David, what, what does rewilding mean to you and, and involve?
2: For me, rewilding is an interesting concept. I think it's a, in general, it's a great concept and it doesn't necessarily mean... In the middle of nowhere you can also make urban areas much more natural than they are now i mean you know stop cutting the road verges you know leave the roundabouts to grow in terms of the grass and the roundabout don't cut everything down within an inch of its life you know have a garden if you do have one and have an area of wilderness in it because even a square foot is like a jungle to a small beetle or caterpillar, and that's how you got to think about it—not in our terms, but in terms of what you're creating these spaces for.
0: What about in cities then, as well? If we walk out in central London and it's very grey and concrete and pavements and busy, how do you think we can go about almost making them wild spaces again, making them greener?
2: I think a lot of people think of reworlding as something that happens over there, out of, out of the way, away from where I can see it, and you know I'll never see a lynx or whatever rewilding actually starts from your doorstep you know you can plant stuff in your garden you can encourage things to grow in your local park and you will get a whole host of animals coming who may not have necessarily been there before you know butterfly species for example or moths or you know other species that show up because if you introduce all that stuff then it's gonna just make things better generally for everything and there'll be more an opportunity for, for, for creatures to recolonize naturally.
0: You grew up in. In West London, as you said, and and there'll be lots of people. And I come across it a lot, you know, when speaking around these things. Going, yeah, but it's it's easier if you have access to the green spaces and the parks. It's not easy for me, you know, if I live in an apartment block or or maybe you know in in a densely populated city. What would you say to them, you know, for people who don't have gardens or those kind of spaces to kind of do these things? What tips have you found, or do you think would you would you say to those people?
2: Well, I think you know if you can find somewhere. And there must be a park around the corner, then make that your, your local patch. Even if it looks not very inviting in terms of wildlife, you may be surprised as to what you will eventually start seeing. And once you go to your park on a regular basis, you may meet other people, you may decide to form a Friends of Society if there hasn't been one before, you may join a local wildlife trust or whatever, and incorporate you know, the conservation work into the area that you actually visit. And I think it's really rewarding and you have a great sense of ownership and also love when you realise, you know, what you're seeing and, and you've actually helped to, to encourage what that wildlife there.
0: What are the benefits for people that might not have realised yet of doing that, of being out in nature, you know, of like you say, it's almost a little bit meditative in a way. What, what, do you, what are the benefits for you, David?
2: To have nature around you is, is a very good thing, not just for nature, but for our well-being, for our health, you know, for, for a whole host of reasons. I think that we'll be getting a lot more pleasure from life. I think, you know, wake up in the morning and hearing all sorts of different things going on and seeing much more in your garden and being aware of stuff when you're walking around will make life so much better. And I think I think people sometimes who, who aren't you know, aware of nature or don't associate themselves with nature, don't realize just how much a part of nature they are and they take for granted what they have, the food they have and all that sort of stuff because it comes from the supermarket. The more we trash our world, the less insects they are, the less bees and I think there's the, the fact bandied around now that if we lost our, our bees, then we will go down the plug fairly quickly afterwards.
0: Oh, what an absolute gent. Such a cool guy. And it really was a delight to talk to the man himself, David Lindo, a.k.a. the Urban Birder. And his book, How to Be an Urban Birder, is out now. Now, for those of you who have been with us every step of this journey so far will know this is the part of the show where we would usually talk to someone who is impacted by a part of the climate crisis. But this time, for We wilding, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to hear from someone who has been on the rewilding journey for quite a long time and can give us a real insight into the positive change that can come from it. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Isabella Tree, author of Wilding. She and her husband have massively changed their farm into a rewilding success story known as NEP Wildland. So we wanted to hear about what that journey was like and the amazing results they had.
4: Neverstate is a three and a half thousand acre rewilding project. It is essentially allowing nature the time and the space to reveal itself and to get natural processes bouncing back into action. To be absolutely honest, the, the first inspiration for it, doesn't sound very romantic or altruistic, was financial. We just weren't making money farming this land. That meant that we wanted to do something working with the land rather than battling against it. It's only now that we've been on this rewilding journey that we look back and realize how much we had got wrong when we were farming. The very first thing we noticed when we started this project the year after we just stopped farming and we stopped pouring chemicals on the land was the sound of insects. It was something we hadn't even noticed we were missing. But to go out there now on a morning, the riot of birdsong is so loud that you can feel it literally reverberating in your stomach and your lungs. This area of land, which previously was totally insignificant for wildlife, has now become one of the most significant areas for nature in Britain. We've got some of our rarest species, turtle doves, nightingales, purple emperor butterflies, peregrine falcons, you name it. I mean, all this life has poured back onto our land. So you feel it's humming, thrumming, singing with life, and that's only in a matter of twenty years. It's quite astonishing. But when you walk out into the project, it's really interesting. People find it very difficult to describe because we're, they're so unused to seeing this sort of habitat in the UK. We haven't had it really for for hundreds, if not thousands, of years um, since probably since the medieval hunting forests. It's thorny scrub. It's wetland, it's very dynamic. You shift from one habitat to another on a short walk and you're following animal trails all the the time. So it really feels like you're in the land belonging to animals again. It almost feels like a cheetah or a leopard could jump out at you from around the corner. We've, We've doubled our carbon content. We've tripled our mycorrhizal fungi. We've tripled soil biota. But also all that vegetation is also sequestering carbon. So we've gone from being a net carbon emitter, a huge one under industrial agriculture, to being a really significant carbon sink. But we're also doing other things like flood mitigation. So areas downstream from us that always used to flood in in intense rain, no longer flood. The wonderful thing about rewilding is you don't have to do anything. Uh, you do as little as possible in terms of management, so it's not hard work. And from the outside, perhaps, it looks like you're being lazy or irresponsible. And certainly one of the hardest things in the beginning was the criticism we had from neighbours and farmers who saw our land transforming and found it very difficult to live alongside. I think the real story of NEP has been how quickly nature can bounce back if you let it. And if you do it in the right way, then extraordinary things begin to happen in a very short space of time. It's possible anywhere, if it can happen here underneath the Gatwick stacking system, surrounded by A-roads in densely populated southeast of England, it can really happen anywhere. And one of the ways of doing that, of course, is is to get messy, is to forget about being such control freaks that we are and just, just let things go a bit
0: a massive thank you to isabella tree i mean we could not have had a rewilding episode without speaking to one of the rewilding queens in the uk herself and i will definitely be getting myself down to net for a look at the project as soon as i can now the brilliant insightful guests just keep on rolling in here on this episode because now i am so so excited to introduce you to Poppy Acocha. Poppy used to work as a model for places like Zara or names like Vivian Westwood, but something happened that made her change her entire life and become a gardener. So I wanted to find out about what led her to this decision and also, in case I hadn't mentioned, as a keen allotment grower myself, harvest all the tips I could get about being green.
1: My, like, earliest memories, even though I was, like, in an urban sprawl in London, are of, like, holding snails on my hand or my mum pointing at the butterflies on the budlier bush, that sort of thing. Like, getting lost in, like, bushes in the park and stuff. And I think that that kind of speaks so much of, like, how... The natural world just always seems to stand out, I think, for kids, for adults, for everybody. it just like, no matter where you are, you end up kind of gravitating towards it. And then as I grew up, I kind of drifted from all of that kind of stuff, as you do when you're a teenager full of angst. (laughs) And then I, yeah, I kind of ended up modelling, and at a certain point, things just didn't add up anymore. And that's when I kind of re-entered interacting with the natural world in a really meaningful way and when I trained in horticulture
0: when you say kind of things didn't add up can you remember whether was there a specific point or was there a thing that kind of made you go do you know what this actually isn't vibrating with me I kind of need to go and find something else Mm -hmm. and was there a specific point or was it did it just kind of happen naturally
1: working in fashion is like such a fast-paced world it's driving consumerism so of course you're producing at an insane rate and it didn't take long for me to kind of get to the point where i was just really emotionally and physically burnt out don't get me wrong there's also good exciting fun beautiful people in the fashion industry but on the whole as a system it just is broken I kind of needed to find a way that I could get my body back up to health and my like emotional well-being back up to health. And while I was kind of exploring how to nurture my body, food just kept coming up, up and up and up. And in tandem with that, I was also understanding more about the climate emergency and how food has a huge impact on that. And so I was kind of looking at how I could heal my body, trying to figure out how I could have a positive impact on like planetary health. And the solution to both those things was food.
0: What was some of the biggest kind of, you know, I guess like eureka moments or that you had when moving into kind of studying horticulture and and really kind of getting to grips with the soil, so to speak?
1: It was about the fact that we're losing topsoil at such an alarming rate that we have a very limited number of growing cycles left in our soils. And that to me was like, oh my God, why are we not talking about this more? Like, how is it possible that we're using the soil, like something that we think of as just this infinitely giving thing? We don't even think about much at all, to be honest, because it's underneath our feet. The fact that that is sustaining us and we're even using that up and mistreating that so that was a big kind of wake-up call where I was like I want to learn about how we can do this without causing that level of damage which it is possible to do and I think so often the climate emergency can feel like so overwhelming but when you realise that there's that much power in the soil in a plant pot or in your back garden it's just so empowering.
0: I was going to say, because I think that's something that has popped up a lot on this first series of Call of the Wild. And it is, I think, a feeling that we can all relate to at some point. You know, the thing of wanting to kind of just lock yourself away and go, it is far too big of a problem. You found kind of with your garden, that was one of your antidotes. Were there any other things you found, Poppy, that helped you deal with those feelings? I think that we've all felt.
1: Tapping into like community projects. So I'm um, getting involved with protest groups, stuff like that. Surrounding myself with people that were also trying to push for something that I saw as, like, a future I wanted to witness or be part of, that was really amazing because all of a sudden you feel less powerless because you start to understand that like our power comes from our community connection and like it takes you from being like oh my god it's just little me what the hell am I meant to do to like oh it's all of us this is great and it can actually be fun you know it doesn't have to be this like sad scary awful mess we can focus on the solutions how we can move positively rather than be crippled with anxiety over what to do
0: yeah couldn't agree more what are the the benefits and the good things you've found that have come from working in wild spaces, you know working with the soil, growing your own food? What, just tell me about the things it's brought to your life and and those lessons you've learned
1: When I started to engage with the natural world. I understood that I was totally dependent on it. And you start to then also understand that there's so many ways in which we feed back into the system. So, you know, stuff like we'll eat a carrot and we poop it back out and that can act as fertiliser. Our pea is incredibly rich in nitrogen. So, like, you start to sort of understand the way that we actually fit into this amazing puzzle. And that is just, like, an incredible feeling. The moment when you're like, oh, I'm part of all of this. I'm part of this muddle that is really comforting I suppose so from like a place of kind of you know mental and emotional well-being there's that and it also kind of I think motivated me to really do the right thing by this like beautiful model that I'm part of because if you're part of it then why on earth would you not want to do the right thing by it?
0: I wanted to ask you as well, because I know you've spoken a lot around this, actually. I mean, I mean, you've been on kind of Gardener's World. You've done the Great Gardener's Revolution. You've got your own, uh, the Royal Horticultural Society podcast, really kind of using a platform to make a difference. But one of the big things that I'm passionate about as well, and I know you are, you know, of course, is the importance of representation in gardening and in particular uh, environmentalism as well. You know, I think the whole climate change conversation, really up until the last three years, it has been a very white, middle-class conversation. Still is in a lot of places, Just wondered what your thoughts are around this and and how we can go about to changing it. And have you noticed Mm -hmm. the shift?
1: Well, anyone listening, I'm um, a mixed race woman. (laughs) You can't tell what I look like. Yeah, so I'm operating horticulture and activism, environmental activism. And yeah, like you say, two spaces that are traditionally very white. Um, In horticulture, also traditionally quite male I think that, well, for me anyway, I hope that just by being in these spaces visibly is kind of offering an invitation and saying, actually, this is for everyone. And, you know, maybe you didn't see someone who looked like you before you could relate to, but now I'm here and hopefully I'm like, you know, waving at you and saying, come join. I know that when I was younger I wish that I had role models in like these sorts of areas that I could look up to and be like oh actually do you know what gardening's really cool I think that there has been like positive shifts Recently, I think that there's a long way to go, but I think that having these conversations and you know opening the space to, to other people and other voices is always going to be useful and beneficial, especially when we're looking at something like dealing with the climate emergency. like as many voices and different inputs as possible I think is really important, you know getting everyone's perspective
0: Now you I will never usually do this, but if there's an Instagram account that anyone should follow it should be yours. Not only will it just brighten up your day, genuinely I'm saying this, but it also is a it's a brilliant kind of live example that it can be done. You know, you can go out there and do it yourself and it's a fountain of knowledge and tips and tricks. Uh, but while we've got you on the podcast, I can ask from the person who runs that brilliant page himself, what are some of your favourite tips and tricks and things you've learned for people who maybe want to grow their own food and, and get back into nature? What um, What would you say to them?
1: um I'd say get a worm bin because it's a really brilliant way of composting in a really small space you can put it under your kitchen sink or whatever and you feed your little wormies your kitchen scraps um and they'll produce incredible compost which you can use for your pot plants or in a garden and also worm tea which is amazing fertilizer so that's probably number one tip because it's super cool and like you get really fond of your little worms (laughs) and it's just such a brilliant like first-hand experience of like that cyclical thing like turning waste into a really valuable resource
0: love that um
1: yeah and then also actually on the topic of like changes on like a more policy level on my instagram i do share petitions etc that you can kind of like get involved with on topics like peat and various pesticides and sort of movements that are happening internationally around food and farming
0: Really loved that chat with Poppy Acoccia and the newest WWF ambassador. So a massive congratulation, Poppy. And thank you so much for your time, your insight and your wisdom as well. And don't forget, there is a longer chat with Poppy in our bonus episode where we dig a little bit more into this topic. Oh, see what I did there? Dig. I'll just move on to the My Footprint app. This is the place where it has challenges for you to try and live more sustainably across all parts of your life. So if we have a little look, you can scatter wildflower seeds in your garden. These are great at attracting some native insects and pollinators to the area. It could even be in a planter or on a grass verge. Or, and this might be my favorite tip of the series so far, you can go on the Woodland Trust website and apply for a free tree to plant in your community. They even recommend the best tree for your area. Now as we know, trees do all sorts of amazing things. They suck up carbon, they can reduce urban heat, and are home for plenty of critters. And that's just a few reasons of why I love hugging them so much. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, would highly recommend going to hug a tree. You could even go and hug your own tree, one that you planted. How good does that sound? And of course, we have some more brilliant tips and tricks from you, my friends, that you've been sending in throughout the series.
1: I decided to grow my own fruit and veg when I was getting frustrated that I couldn't buy certain foods like lettuce and cucumber in the supermarket without the plastic packaging. So fast forward a couple of years, and I now have quite a large allotment and I'm able to grow food plastic free. Um, The allotment is good for the soul and for the environment, so win-win.
0: I started volunteering for the Oxford Conservation Volunteers at the beginning of lockdown. We go round the Oxfordshire area and essentially increase diversity in nature reserves in the area. Just give plant life that is much rarer a fighting chance to establish itself. It really does fill my heart when we get to hear about the brilliant, wonderful things that some of you guys have been doing to try and make a difference. And more so, just the fact that you take the time to send in your tips and tricks really does mean the absolute world. And I can't thank you all enough. I really do hope you've enjoyed these. And more so, they've been a real source of inspiration. They've given you some ideas and also some motivation to get out there and make some changes even if it is just a small change, because the more of us that are doing that, the bigger the impact we can have together and the harder it will be for governments and big businesses to turn a blind eye. Guys, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to read this sentence here that I've got to say next in my script, because it does mean that we're gonna arrive at the end of the series. I wanna express a huge heartfelt thank you to The Urban Birder, AKA David Lindo, Poppy Kocha and Isabella Tree. Such a brilliant no and fantastic guests to end the series on. And what a journey it's been. Honestly guys, this has been one of my favorite things I've ever done. And I think to actually just have these conversations, meet some brilliant people along the way, hear from people all around the world, and also be on this journey with you is something that I found very very special and I do hope you've enjoyed it and taken some tips and tricks and learnt a lot along the way. But one of the final things I will say and one of the biggest things I've learned is yes, individual action has a massive role to play. We all have that responsibility to try and make a difference and lead a more green, thoughtful, sustainable life. But... (laughs) The big change, some of the systemic change has to come from governments and world leaders and big businesses. Now, I don't know if I can say this, but if we can, my producers won't edit it out. We do hope to be back for a season two. So fingers crossed. And in the meantime, if you do have any thoughts, ideas, feedback, get them in we'd love to hear from you and i also want to express my thanks to wwf for making this podcast possible and creating the space to have these all-important conversations that really are crucial in educating us raising awareness and shifting consciousness don't you worry we still have one more episode coming a bonus extended chat with poppy about everything we didn't get to squeeze in today and it is well worth checking out in two weeks time This is a Fresh Air production for WWF. The wild is calling, it's time to act. Peace and love.